All right. If you got your Bibles, you can open up to Genesis 41. I'm going to give you some great verses and some basic principles to maybe work into a memory of Scripture. Again, maybe you don't make too much of Scripture memory. It is very powerful, and I invite you to write them down. Um, you know, the easiest way to remember Scripture is somewhere, you put it on a note card, physically write it down, put it on a note card, and put it on the um, mirror in the, the bathroom, put it on the steering wheel of your car, not while you're driving, but when you get in and out, you can read it, look at it. It is a game changer. It sticks with you. It gives you inspiration. Um, the, the ability to rev, you know, go back to that scripture, wonderful. So it's going to come out with a couple of principles in this passage, Genesis 41. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I jumped the gun. Let's do a quick review. So God is greater than our dreams was Genesis 37. Joseph had these dreams. Breck shared about those dreams and said, you know what? God is bigger than our interpretation of dreams. So how we perceive the dreams that we have is different than how God intends them to come to fruition. So uh, Breck did a really nice job of sharing about that. Um, then, of course, I shared about God is bigger than false accusations. So he's gone through, Joseph has been sold into slavery, and then he's being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, and he's thrown into prison. And the question that we are asking is, God is bigger than false accusations. So acknowledge God as sovereign over your life and your circumstances, that no one person can derail God's plan. But that certainly came to its hardest point last week when we said God is greater than forgotten. And I did share last week about needing the worship team and wanting to continue to fill this, this stage. I'm doing worship with the kids. Uh, we're on November 3rd, I think it is, the first Sunday of November. We'll have our real kids to perform. And I'm excited about just the enthusiasm of music and getting people to serve in a capacity that is just joyful and exciting. But we're going to tell the story of Joseph. And one of these signature points is that Joseph feels forgotten. He feels like as a Hebrew in Egypt, as being faithful to God, he, no good deed goes unpunished. And I asked you last week, I said, you know what? Let's not be the church of the forgotten. Let's not be the church that, like the cupbearer, called to set the table and serve the meal. We acknowledge where we forget God from that service, right? We just kind of look at it as consumers, not always contributors. We say, God, what's in it for me? And God's call to us as a church is to set the table and serve the meal. He is the bread, but ultimately without the church, the bread seems to be this, this meal on the floor, right? That God is going to continue to prevail, but Joseph certainly didn't feel that God was answering him when he was in the prison, uh, ultimately, it's the fellowship of other believers and our ability to prepare the meal and the open doors for the rest of the world. So we want to be that cupbearer that does not forget those who are often forgotten, and we present them to the king. And then today, God is greater than our past. So now we'll jump into Genesis chapter 41. And I'm going to go ahead and start off with the story in quick summary. So here's how it begins. Genesis chapter 41 Two full years later, from the time the cupbearer is going to have this dream foretold in prison, two years go by. 
Now, this is important, so uh, let's give a recap of Joseph. Joseph was 17 with his brothers when his brothers sold him to slavery. So he has these dreams that uh, these, these sheaves of grain, they're all going to bow down, and, and they're going to bow down to Joseph, or the stars are going to bow down to Joseph's star, and, and the brothers don't like him, so they sold, sell him to slavery. They wanted to kill him, but they sell him into slavery, and then, of course, everything happens from there. He's 17 at that point. It's going to tell us in a little bit that he's 30, so he has been, for 13 years, a slave and a prisoner in a foreign land. Finally, two full years later, Pharaoh has these dreams. Here are Pharaoh's dreams. In short, he has a dream of seven fat cows. And then he has the same dream, has these seven scrawny cows. And in the dream, the seven scrawny cows eat the seven fat cows. And then the next night he has another dream. And he says, you know what? I had seven, this dream of seven heads of grain and then these seven scrawny heads of grain and the seven scrawny heads of grain eat the seven heavy, plump grain. What does that mean? So the next morning, verse 8 in chapter 41 of Genesis, Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dream. So he called for the magicians and wise men of Egypt. When Pharaoh told him his dreams, no one of them could tell him what it meant. So none of them understood what Pharaoh's dream was supposed to mean. So finally the king's cupbearer spoke up. And this is a great statement, right? This is when we realize we've been consumers and not contributors, right? We have forgotten the people that shouldn't be forgotten. The people who are suffering that we have an answer towards. We go, we could be the gatekeeper to their well-being. And oh, the cupbearer says, today I have been reminded of my failure, some time ago, he tells Pharaoh, we were angry, you were angry with us, the chief baker and myself, and you imprisoned us into the place of the captain of the guard. There a young Hebrew man was with us in prison. He was a slave of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he told us each of our, what our dreams meant. Everything happened just as he predicted. I was restored to my place as the cupbearer for you, and the chief cupbearer, well, he was you know, impaired on a pole. I mean, he, he was impaled, so... Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once and told Joseph, I had a dream that night, and no one here could tell me what it means. But I have heard that you, Joseph, you hear about dreams and you can interpret them. And I want to just highlight that this is becoming, in this moment, the probably the most terrifying moment in Joseph's life. Okay? And what I mean by it's a terrifying moment is he is now being asked to go from zero to hero. And the question that he has to ask is, how has that worked for him in the past? So when he shared his dreams with his brothers, how'd that work out for him? He got sold into slavery. While he's in slavery, he is doing the best he can for Potiphar, and then Potiphar's wife wants to sleep with him, and so she falsely accuses him because he decides to stand up for what he believes in, and he says, I cannot sin against God. How did that work for him? While he's in prison, he has the baker and the cupbearer who are thrown into prison with him. Now, he has the opportunity to these people who set the table for the king, who will go back to the king, who have a position of authority, and he knows that the dream for the cupbearer is good, and he says, do not forget me, and he is forgotten. How did that work out for him? So I don't know about you, but there are times, and this is the first thing I want to highlight this morning, is that there are times that your past will come into play with your future, and I'm going to invite you this morning, don't let your past predict your future. Well, Philippians 3.13 says, Know this, 
As Paul says, brothers and sisters, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Everybody has a past. And everybody, when you go to predict something, you rely on past information for what this situation will present. And even if a situation seems to be good, you will likely look at it through the lens of difficult moments. Paul is referencing his past. He has a past, and now all of a sudden, at this time of being a a leader in the early church, he's trying to remind them, don't let the past predict your future, right? I was a Pharisee. I was the, the chief of sinners, Paul says. Now, this is the way we usually have a past. Sometimes it's the past of our own sins and our own doing, and sometimes it's the past of suffering. Sometimes it's something somebody placed upon us. But even that person who didn't do it to themselves and somebody else did it to you has a past that they don't speak out of very well. Right? They just begin to not trust relationships. It's the person who gets called into the boss, and you don't think you're getting the promotion. So you go in sheepishly, not confidently. It's a girlfriend who has the boyfriend for a long time who texts and says, we need to talk. You don't think the conversation's about getting engaged. You think the conversation is probably about breaking up. People go into those situations with the lens from the past. Everyone has a past. Joseph has this past of constant letting down. His brothers let him down. Potiphar let him down. The cupbearer let him down. What is he to expect? I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I mean, Nicholas Sparks, I don't want to read another book. They tell me the, the books he writes now, don't, they, they, they're a little bit more positive. But the truth is, it seemed like every book he wrote, and I didn't read the books, I just watched the movies, but what happens? Somebody dies. Not to ruin Nicholas Sparks movies, but we're talking about 10 years old. So if you haven't seen them all, right, Message in the Bottle and, you know, The Walk to Remember. They die. Somebody dies. It's miserable. Why do you go to a movie to watch that person die? Give me something uplifting. And somebody said, they go, well, no, no he's, he's turned that around. I'm not going to trust you. My past tells me that Nicholas Sparks writes books where people die. Not fun. But our past does not necessitate what is coming in the future. Now, I'm gonna offer what we call a reader's bias. When you read the story of Joseph, you have a bias, and the bias is that you know how the story ends. But I want you to get into the story in Joseph's perspective. When he goes before Pharaoh, he doesn't know how the story ends. He doesn't get to be a part of God's sovereign plan as we are as readers thousands of years later to go, oh, what are we to worry about? He goes before Pharaoh from prison What is in it for him? Joseph is probably in the moment of the greatest risk-reward ever imaginable. So I invite you this morning to have an honest conversation about your past. And are you letting it predict your future? Are you making excuses for your present circumstances because, ho-hum, I had this miserable set of circumstances. Look what it's done to me. There is no future. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how poor you are. I don't care how educated you are. Time and again, the question that comes into a person's life is this is your moment now. And if God is a God of grace, then he empowers you right now. Had a professor who said it best, your past is like a rearview mirror. You need it. You need to be able to look at it once in a while and know that if it's let to creep up on you and you least expect it, it'll hit you in the blind side. But it is not your windshield. 
It is not the future before you, so leave it in the rear. Reference it once in a while when you need to know more of that story so that you can stay straight to the direction you're going. But your future is your choosing. And trust me, if you've had bad things happen in the past, that is the course of most people's successes. Everybody knows the story. How many times did Thomas Edison fail before he figured out the filament for the light bulb? A thousand. But Thomas Edison never said it was a thousand failures. He says it's a thousand steps to the right one. How many know J.K. Rowling's, uh, that she, you know, everybody knows she wrote Harry Potter, right? Huge phenomenon. Any guesses how many times she got t- turned down for publishing her book? Twelve. She sent her, pub- she sent her book, her first book, to get published. How would you like to be the people that missed on that? Twelve publishers turned her down. It's kind of like in the draft for Tom Brady and he went to the sixth round. Now Tom Brady could look at that and go, oh my gosh, I guess I didn't have a very good college career and I'm a little bit scrawny. And no. no, at some point you take those circumstances and you realize that is in the past and it sets me up to still see what I'm made of in this moment. And this is where Joseph gets the opportunity. So let's continue. Now, second... When in doubt, tell the truth. So we're going to talk about being truth tellers because when you refer to your past, you don't really know what to do. But in the future, if you really believe what's ahead of you, the first thing you have to do is be honest enough to tell the truth. Truth is its own freedom. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 8, 32. Okay? So when in doubt, tell the truth. Go ahead, switch that second one there. There we go. Here's what it says in Genesis 41. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God can tell you what this dream means and it'll set you at ease. So Pharaoh told Joseph the dream. He told him about the seven fat calves, the seven fat cows and the seven skinny cows, seven heads of grain, the seven scrawny heads of grain, that they ate the other seven. And this is what Joseph replies. God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. This is the moment, if you're in the story with Joseph, you would want to shout out, Stop! That's perfect! Leave it there! What would Pharaoh care if after seven years, even if Joseph knew the whole story, he doesn't share the whole story with Pharaoh? He just says what Pharaoh wants to hear. Now, most people, we listen to the story, we read the story, we go, oh, well, it was supposed to be the the cause and effect. It's the yes and the no. It's the yin and the yang. There's these great seven years, these bad seven years, and we all take that for granted. He's in front of Pharaoh. Every time he tells the whole story of the dream, his life gets turned upside down. This is the moment in the story where we would want to shout in and go, don't tell him everything. And if you think that that is something that seems to be kind of lost on us, that maybe that's not the interpretation of Scripture. Let me give you a couple of references in Scripture that we, we often overlook. In 1 Kings chapter 22, it talks about King Ahab. King Ahab is the king of Israel. King Ahab wants to then take back some property of his enemies at the border. He feels like they've taken the, the, the Gilead, the land, and he wants to take it back. He wants to extend the border. He wants to go into battle. So he takes King Judah, Jehoshaphat, and he says, hey, Come in with me and let's battle these guys and let's get this property back. And Jehoshaphat says, that's something I will consider if you ask the prophets what they think. 
So Ahab says, great. Now this is the part of the story. Ahab brings in all these prophets who will tell him what he wants to hear. And they say, yes, king, you will defeat them. You will get back the property. And then Jehoshaphat says, I'd like to ask Micaiah. Oh, Ahab can't stand Micaiah. All he ever tells you is the truth. Even King Ahab knows this. He doesn't want Micaiah. So Micaiah is asked, and the servant of Ahab, before Micaiah goes in, wants him to go in and tell the king what the king wants to hear. Don't lie. Don't tell him the whole truth. Tell him only part of it. And surely Micaiah says to the servant, as surely as the Lord lives, I will say only what the Lord tells me to say. And it didn't go well for Micaiah. Not to start. Most of us reference Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the land, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. We all love that scripture. Many of you know it's one of my favorite scriptures. What most people don't realize is it's my favorite scripture because it comes out of this struggle in Jeremiah 29, 1 through 10. In fact, in Jeremiah 28, there's this wicked prophet, Hananiah speaks on behalf of God, telling everybody what they want to hear. In fact, he's in the temple courts and he tells everybody what they want to hear. And then Jeremiah says, that's not the way it's going to be. And Hananiah says, God has brought us some struggles, but he's going to give us this immediate return to our, our land. They're in exile. He says, no, in two years, we're going to go back into the promised land. And then Jeremiah tells the people, no. In fact, Jeremiah 29, 1 through 10, he says, you know what you need to do? You need to get married, build houses, and plant gardens. In Jeremiah 29, 10, it says, because you're going to be here for 70 years. The Babylonians are going to oppress us for 70 years. We don't get to go right back into it. There is going to be some struggle. And then Jeremiah says, but lo, the plans he has for us. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans to give us a hope and a future. That's the whole truth. How many of us want just the relative truth? We just want something that makes us feel good about ourselves. Just tell me what I want to hear. But sometimes telling people what they want to hear is only going to cause them more harm. It's what Immanuel Kant called the categorical imperative. In certain categories of life, there is an imperative that cannot be suggested in any other way. In other words, the categorical imperative is, thou shalt not murder. You can try to justify it any way you want. If it's self-defense, we understand. But if there's actual murder, your intention is just to seek revenge or for your own choosing to kill somebody, Immanuel Kant says you can't justify that in any way or face of life. So you tell the truth. That's what you do. Jesus says time and again, you tell the truth. This is the truth. And the truth will set you free. Joseph didn't finish 
with just the best part of the story. He has to set up the story as God has interpreted it, right? He has received the wisdom from God. He's going to share the wisdom with Pharaoh. And it can't just be half the story of rainbows and unicorns. It's got to be the whole story. So Joseph continues, but after those seven years of plenty, there will be seven years of famine, so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. He, he tells them, he tells Pharaoh this harshness of the next seven years. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. You have to be ready to tell the truth. I don't want to give any names out, but I laughed when I, I was thinking about this and this week we had a, a young man take a marker and write on um, the couch at the house. And, and it was fine because the couches are white. And you write on paper, you write on white paper, you see a couch, it's white, you write on it, right? So then, of course, my wife brings this young man to me, and basically it's one of those, you do something with this child. I don't know what to do, so I'm going to let you do something. So I stand next to this little guy and I go, did you color on the couch? And this is my favorite because I can't laugh, but in the moment I just thought this was priceless. Meant we did it. <laughs> <laughs> and he was not talking in third person. And Bentley, but he, yeah. So I looked at him again and I said, so the marker on your hands where all of it is where that marker has probably been. That's not you. You didn't do it. Bet we did it. <laughs> we, from the time we are young, we believe that we can make up our own truth. We can steer people in a different direction. We can tell them what they want to hear so it looks better. It goes well with us. And I'm just telling you, at some point, you will realize the truth is what sets you free. It is unbelievable how the moments that followed, uh, I'm sure the, the parent uh, of the child was a little concerned when I said, let's go talk for a minute. And I pick up a little guy and we disappear. And I don't know about you, when I disappeared with my dad when I was a kid, it did not go well. If I didn't do something like I was supposed to, when dad said, come here, see me for a minute, bad things happened. And the truth is, we just have a conversation about telling the truth. And this, this freedom that comes from, I did it. This honesty, it prevails our relationships. So I invite you into that conversation. Once you decide that your past does not hold you back from a better future, then be honest about your circumstances and what you see about your relationships. Just tell the whole story. When your relationships are struggling, you're honest about them, not putting part of it under the rug. All of us know the half-truths we might put on social media because we want everybody to think our lives are all put together. But there's some of you that I appreciate when you put some of the rawness, the challenges, and you don't want to air out your dirty laundry for everybody to see, but you know that life isn't always rainbows and unicorns, and you've got to take a risk with the people you love or the people you think have influence in your life to tell them the truth. Now, that doesn't mean you can't add your two cents worth after you've told them the truth. Listen to where the story goes with Joseph. 
41 verse 33. Therefore, you should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in those good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come. Notice what he says. Therefore you should find an intelligent and wise man. And Joseph's suggestion was well received by Pharaoh and his officials. Verse 38, so Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? And Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. So you will be in charge of my court and all of my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. If you come to terms with your past and you don't let them predict your future, if you go into the future saying to yourself, I will tell the truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God, I will be an honest person. Of the things I may have as faults in my life, being deceitful is not gonna be one of them. If you live off of those premises, you will receive God-sized opportunities. And they may not come the first time. They may not come the second time. They may not come the third time. But eventually, God will use all of that that is your past to set up for a powerful future. Joseph made the most of that opportunity. This 17-year-old who was the favored son, even though he was the youngest of 10 other brothers, who was then sold into slavery and then into prison, now finds himself in a foreign land in Egypt, is now made second in command. You have got to stop telling yourself, if you do, that big opportunities aren't meant for you. They're meant for somebody else. I love, my, my dad has instilled this with me. I have said this from the beginning of ministry. When somebody will say to me that there are bigger churches and bigger things to be doing and accomplishing, and, and I, I kind of laugh. I was the, invited to be the coach at Cecil. You know, we did that when I first came here, and we did the program, and then they said, would you like to be a coach? And I was coach. I was coaching pastors with churches three times the size of our church. But my dad had always said, it's not about the size of the church. It's about how far the people in your church go. It's how you empower them to do great things. My dad was always proud of the fact that there were four or five people in his church when I was younger that, that four or five of us went into ministry. We went into a capacity to serve vocational ministry. And he's always looked at that as a, the church was 30 people, but how many more people has it blessed? That's why I've shared with you in the past the story of Adoniram Judson who goes into Burma and he is put in prison and he doesn't get to see the fruits of his work but because he interprets the Bible in Burmese while he's in prison, by the way, there's a time after him that it caught on like wildfire. And most of you know that there are parts of Eastern Asia that are unbelievably spirit-filled and overwhelmed with the transformation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
My dad told the story of when he was meeting with pastors and they said, hey, we can get the speaker from one of the pastors of the top 100 churches. And my dad said, well, I didn't know you wanted me to speak at the event, but I'll do it, I guess. <laughs> if you have the confidence that God has God-sized opportunities in front of you, you will be amazed at how the moments present themselves. Joseph realized the truth to the dreams and that he had had experience, had been blessed in Potiphar's house in overseeing the prison. He could do it and he could do it well. What? You can't do great things because somebody told you you can't? Because you're too young, you're too small? You can look at Tim Timothy 4.12. Do not let anybody look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in faith and life and love and speech and impurity. You're not too young. You're not too old. You're not too small. You're not too unintelligent. Every one of us has a path before us where God simply says, allow the truth, my truth of you and the truth of the situation you're in to speak out. And there are great opportunities every one of us the drug addict becomes a sponsor the couple who file for bankruptcy because they manage their finances so poorly when they hit rock bottom they turned it around now coaches couples who struggle to manage their bills as well the next to divorce couple rededicates their marriage and counsels young couples facing similar challenges that nobody really talks about, but every marriage faces. Don't stay in your prison of the past. The Bible reminds us time and again there are worse prisons than a cell with bars. Don't be a prisoner to your lies. Don't be a prisoner to self-doubt. Don't be a prisoner to despair. The King of Kings has called your name. Step up. Seize that opportunity. Let us pray. Everlasting God, we cannot fathom our lives in this space and time. It is so brief. What means the world to us is but a blade of grass here today and gone tomorrow. Our influence, our sphere of possibilities is only magnified with you. Just as Joseph calls upon you to give the meaning of those dreams, so we in our spiritual disciplines, in our prayers, in our integrity, in our relationships, in our willingness to cast light of truth on the situations we believe need to be spoken into, you do amazing things. They don't happen like clockwork. I get it, God. I know that when we come to you, we may feel the sufferings of relationships, the ill fate of people who don't know you. But you are sovereign, and no matter what, the end game with you is still better. It is still glorious. If we stood like Stephen at the stoning of people who hate us, but we look up to the heavens and see you, it is more glorious 
than having the favor of those same people. Help us, Lord, when we decide to dress up the world around us to favor us, when in reality it is simply your favor that we need first and foremost. Help us to forgive the past as you have already forgiven us. And we reflect on it to understand a little bit better about ourselves but not be in the windshield of our future. You have something bigger planned for us. May you find us faithful to the point we take on God-sized opportunities each and every day of our lives. And all of God's people said, Amen.